Gaslight, Chapter 2 Oi, watch it! He's a fully grown man, but he almost topples as I run into him. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm not really sorry. I'm in too much of a rush to feel anything. The ridiculousness of almost knocking over one of the knocker-uppers doesn't escape me. It'll make a funny story for the others. But I think I freaked the poor bloke out, pegging it along here, soaking wet through. Though there's been no rain, people are always on their guard against lunatics and rogues in the early hours, myself included. That's one of the reasons I was running in the first place. Bloody kids. I said I'm sorry. I stopped to help him up from where I bowled him over in the horse dung. But he takes a swipe at me with his hammy hands. So I start running again. He's been annoying people since before dawn. By charging them money to get them out of bed. So I tell myself I got some revenge for them. My breath comes in sharp white blasts by the time I get to the Empire and I have to bend over and stand with my hands on my knees to get rid of the stitch that's pranging my ribs. My skirts are stinking up as far as my shins. I can't begin to imagine what I must look like. Awful, that's for sure. I try to tidy my hair but it's too scratty and tangled. It's dripped right through my dress. Even though this early autumn has been warm, it's freezing this morning and I'm shivering. Being this tired all the time doesn't help. I stand in a haberdasher's shop doorway and peek at the outside of the theatre to check that Sid isn't about. Of course he isn't. No one is. They aren't early risers, this lot. They are late-night partiers or have a second way to earn some pennies that takes them through to the first grey hours of dawn. I let myself in. Sid's good like that, at least. He's given me a room of my own in the backstage cellars and I have a mattress to myself, so I can't complain. The room is practically a box and has an odour that is indescribable. But it's better better than nothing, and it's mine. I've put some flowers in a jar on the trunk in the corner and they help to brighten the darkness with the orange and lilac sway of their heads. Their smell is too fragile to battle the stench but I'm grateful for it anyway. It reminds me of the heavy scents of summer, lilacs, peonies, marigolds, peppery sweet on the air. My real clothes are hung up next to some old moth-eaten costumes, so I get out of this servant's uniform, part of Sid's latest cunning plan, and try to shake the cold out of them before putting them on. It doesn't work. Even in the middle of summer, It's an ice pit down here. I light an oil lamp and try to appreciate the vague sense of heat. My reflection, when I get up the courage to look at it, is ghastly. My hair, which is just the wrong sort of red, is still dirty even though it's wet and looks like a swan's nest. I need to try to sort myself out pretty quickly so I can get some kip before Sid wants me, wants to see the spoils of last night, not that I have any, and give me my work for today. A shiver convulses my body as I think of that girl again. 
I should have tried to convince her that I was a real servant, like I'm supposed to. But I was so afraid I just froze to the spot, staring at her like a startled hare. She probably thought I was a ghost or some kind of madhouse escapee. Sid won't be pleased, I tell the girl in the glass, who is wincing as she rubs the bald patch on her head. If he finds out... It all happened so fast. I hid in the girl's wardrobe when the other servants went to bed. I came out when I was sure it was dark and everyone was asleep to go downstairs and rifle through their silver as I'd been ordered. And then I saw it. A book. So beautiful. I thought it would be just a gorgeous thing for B to have. I've been trying to teach her to read in minutes snatched from our real jobs and it was so tempting to have a real book to learn from instead of just penny dreadfuls. It was lying there, waiting in the darkness. Notice me, look at me, it whispered, the gold lettering catching the light on the crimson cover, the gilt-edged pages glittering. I promise you wonderful stories. It was waiting there just for me. I knew it was a risk to go so close to the sleeping girl, but I couldn't get B's excited face out of my head, so I went for it. As I reached out, the floorboards creaked, the way things always make a racket when you're trying to be quiet. Who's there? The girl sprang up in her bed like a jumping jack-in-the-box, and I just stood, a petrified tailor's dummy, with the book in my hand and my mouth open to catch flies. She gawped at me. I gawped back at her. And then chaos erupted. <coughs> the scream coming out of that tiny mite's mouth could have sunk a ship. I'm telling you. It shocked me into moving. I ran out of the room and onto the landing. But the house was already waking in confusion. Harassed yelps filled the darkness and lamps were lit. I, of course, had to wait for a second too long to see if my mother was one of the people emerging from the rooms. Get the rifle, someone shouted. Burglars, someone else. Murderers. An overdramatic reaction, I thought. I ran back into the bedroom, making the girls screech louder. I shoved the book in my apron pocket and tried to yank open the window so I could get out. You wouldn't believe how much time it takes to shove one of them sash windows up when your palms are sweating and you're trembling with panic. I was through it, quick as I could, but I held on to the sill, dangling over the garden below. I wasted precious moments praying I wouldn't break my ankle or worse. Then this livid man stuck his head out and looked down at me, yelling. When I get my hands on you, I'm going to slit your throat. Before I could let myself fall, he grabbed hold of the back of my hair, thunked the front of my head against the wall and held me there, spitting and snarling like some rabid dog. That's when the screaming really got going from all sides. Let go of me! Me clamouring in fear of my very life. <coughs> ah! The girl wailing. I suppose in fear of hers. Come here, you little... The man tugging at my hair. 
called for the police. Is anyone hurt? Did they take my jewels? Shoot on sight, and that's an order. The entire population of the household. I walked, I wailed the loudest, and scratched at him like a circus tiger with all my will and might. I think I hurt him, because he suddenly swore loudly and dropped me like a stone. I'm lucky to be alive. The landing winded me so badly. Back in my room, I examine my wounds and see that the bruises and cuts on my legs are ripening already. My lip has been split open. There's a large, bald, blooded patch on the back of my head, which I can see if I use two looking glasses. Luckily, the front of my head only has a small cut where it hit the bricks. It isn't much of a plus, but at least I can cover everything else up. I always wait too long just in case it's a mistake I have to make I address myself sternly in the glass you do these jobs to make money Nancy my girl so buck up you and Sid have a deal when you've saved up enough you can hire a real detective I know Sherlock Holmes is a made-up creation but he would be ideal People are always talking about him and how he deduces things. Your mother is out there and you are going to find her. If that includes cheating and swindling, then that's the way it's got to be. There's always the chance she'll be in one of these houses I get sent to. Perhaps she was also hit on the head and has memory loss. I imagine her catching sight of me and all her wonderful memories coming back. We will go somewhere else and live together. Another city, perhaps, in another country. Maybe she already has a house of her own and a room that she has made beautiful for a reason she can't quite put her finger on. I will track her down, no matter what. Nancy! B always manages to sneak in without me noticing. It's a talent she has. We've become really good friends since Sid took me in. When I find my mother, I'm certain that B will come and live with us. It's fine, B. It's just a graze. The gape of her mouth tells me it looks worse than I'd hoped, but I think I can pin my hair over it. You all right? She nods, even though she looks dog-tired. B doesn't sleep well here. She has nightmares every night. She's been here so long... She doesn't know it can be different. Suspicious Sid wants you already. He's in a right one. The others call him pernicious Sid because he's such a nasty piece of work but B always gets it wrong. I think she does it on purpose to make me laugh. I can't call him that. He's always done his best for me even if his best is never quite enough. I got this for you. Her surprise when she sees the book is worth every bit of pain and fright. I hold it out to her and think of a china blue bedroom, a patterned quilt, a doll's house with a family of tiny dolls. I don't know why. Thanks, Nan. She leafs through it and then closes it and reads the title slowly. Grimm's. A book of fairy tales. Sounds grim. I laugh. We can keep it safe in here if you like. We put it in the trunk with my other belongings. 
a spare dress, a blanket, some bergamo soap that I nicked. Tell Sid I'll be up in a minute. I glance at my reflection again and balk. And B, take your time with the message. Will do. The dark circles under her cinnamon eyes are deep as wells today. She works so hard to keep her place here. As an orphan, she says she is grateful for a roof over her head and a chance to earn her keep. When I'm a star, I'll buy everything for her. If Sid is in this early, then something is definitely afoot. I would drag a brush through my hair, but my head aches and the lake has made my curls spring into life, so I just make it frizzy. I pin it up as speedily as I can with torn fingernails. It covers the patch, but means that I have less than fashionable clump at the back of my head. I just mop at the blood with the mop cap I'd been wearing for the robbery, and squeeze a straw hat down over it. I put grease paint over the cut on my forehead, which stings but covers the gas pretty well. My white gloves are stained at the tips, but will have to do. Sid isn't good at waiting. The passages up to Sid's office aren't lit this early in the morning, but I'd know my way in the dark. There's quite a few people asleep at the bottom of the stairs, as there always are, and the smell of beer and more disgusting reeks is an inescapable yellow cloud. Gassy Jack is face down on the bottom steps, living up to his name. He was supposed to be there to help me out last night if anything went wrong, but he must have scarpered and come straight back here. I give him a sharp kick as I go past. He groans, rolls over, and then nestles down again. He snore, his snoring drops an octave. Every passage in this place has a memory, but I can't think about them now. On a clear day, I might remember the acts I've laughed with in these rooms. I might think about the midnight parties and the early morning heart-to-hearts. I might be swept away thinking of the stories I've been regaled with and the brilliant, dazzle, glamour of the world outside these walls that I've yet to see myself. I could think about when Wally the Clown bet that he could tell us more than 30 jokes in less than two minutes and I laughed so hard that beer came through my nose or the party which ended up with us planning to put a zoo in Victoria Park and we tried to think of names of the animals and fell about laughing at calling a seal Billy. Billy from the box office has never lived it down. Today, I just think about Sid's room and what awaits me there. No laughing matter at all. However slow and steady I make my steps, I still arrive at his office before I want to. I touch my hat to check the blood hasn't seeped through. There are no new marks on the gloves. So far as I can tell, it's fine. It still hurts like hell, though. I rap on the door, making my knuckles smart. There's the tiniest hope that Sid will have been called away on urgent business, like the death of a loved one or a medical emergency, and I wait on tender hooks. Sid always makes people wait. It's a power thing for him. There are rumours that one of the orchestra grew a beard while he waited. It's such a long time. I'm actually thinking that my wish has been granted and Sid is temporarily dead. I wouldn't wish him really dead. He isn't all that bad. Entree. Damn. I straighten the hat again and put on my best calm face. I've learned how to act here.
the lovely Nancy or would we prefer to be called Ruby today he arches one of his eyebrows and I pretend to smile Sid knows that my worst hate is to be mocked one day I will be a star and then he'll rue the day it's bright in here it figures that Sid would keep all the light to himself or perhaps we are open to be Tilly. An atmosphere blows like the north wind through the room. I swear the gaslight flickers. Because rumour has it that Tilly, Thomas, is it. He looks f at me for affirmation. I keep my smile so fixed. I feel as if rigor mortis has set in. I can taste a mixture of sweat lake and fear on my lips he looks away yes tilly thomas was apparently seen by a member of the public last night he is so still i think perhaps the atmosphere has frozen him solid i listen to the creak of the floorboards expanding in the heat of the fire i listen to my heart moving up through my body and trying to leave through my rictus grin mouth Finally he moves, pushing the nib of his pen into the desk until it bends and splatters ink everywhere. I... My voice falters. I can usually think of something to say, but I've never been nearly caught before. It's almost worse than actually being caught and taken to the workhouse or jail. Don't be afraid, Nancy. I'm not angry. For the moment, I'm disappointed. Very disappointed. This is worse than if he was angry. Not because I feel guilty that he is disappointed in me, but because there will be something cruel attached to this disappointment. For all that Sid has done for me, I've seen him use things against people, and it's not a pretty sight. You see, if Tilly Thomas is seen and recognised, then it might well lead the police to come here. Everyone is afraid of the Rosers, even Sid. That wouldn't do at all now, would it? I recover my voice, though it sounds like someone else's. It, it wasn't that bad, Sid. He only got a quick peek at my face and I didn't manage to steal anything. I know he wouldn't recognise me again from what he saw. I, Sid is around the desk with his hands tight around my throat, quicker than a theatre rat up a stage rope. Don't lie to me. He had you dangling from the window like a puppet on a string. Don't tell me he didn't see you or I'll kill you. Understand? I don't like lies, Nancy. Understand? I feel venomous spit land all over my face with every word. I try to speak but he's strangling and nothing comes out but a sharp pin of air. I try to nod but my head is locked in his grip and I can't. Sid's eyes are so close to mine I can see flecks of gold in them, like tiny stabbing swords. I'm going to die. The pain is excruciating. There's a lightness in my head and a buzzing sound fills the air like beating wings. I start thinking that the next time I will see my mother again will be never. Sid loosens his grip slightly and I gulp the cold air deep down into my bones. He licks the length of my face from my jaw across my cheek to my temple. I feel vomit rise in my throat and swallow hard. 
He is foul. Apologies, Nancy. He lets go and turns back. My legs give way and I slide down the wall till I'm crumpled on the floor. I watch my hat fall off and spin like a sixpence round and round in circles. Lies make me a little irate. After all I've done for you, I'd expect something more. Loyalty, perhaps. Honesty, certainly. He is composed again, and when he turns he has resumed his jovial expression. There, there, Nancy. You know I only have your best interests at heart. I force a nod. It's what is expected. Every nerve in my head jangles. I can't even try to smile any more. Good girl. He smooths his hair back, his hands shiny with oil. However, your bad behaviour means you have a bit of making up to do. He sits back at the desk as if we are having a happy chat over afternoon tea and a pastel pink iced bun. Quite a lot of making up to do, actually. I wait. Firstly, we have a new magician arriving. I wait as the fire sparks and dances. He will be staying in some digs in Temperance Town. I wait as the gas jets hiss. But he has an assistant who needs somewhere to stay. So I thought she could share your room. And there it is. Be a nice bit of company for you, eh? Young girls together. She might even tell you how you can become a star of the stage. He laughs at his spiteful joke. Let her have your bed, Nancy. There's a darling. And you use the floor. There's no point in complaining. Sid is one of those people who, if you whinge, gives you a worse reason to protest. After last night, he might kick me out on the streets. The feeling in my legs is coming back painfully, the numbness rushing into my pins and needles. Secondly, there is a woman coming here who needs an assistant of her very own. His eyes gleam. She is quite the catch on the European market, I'm told. So we are extremely honoured to have her here. Do you understand? I wish he'd stop asking if I understand things. Nodding hurts. I nod anyway and bear the brunt of it. She's quite an unusual act. I think you like it. This rouses my interest, in spite of my being almost dead. I'm nothing if not ambitious. Perhaps this will finally give me an opportunity to show off my real talents. What's the act? I mean, what's my role? But I won't give him the satisfaction of asking. Something to do with dead people. He flicks an invisible nothing from his trousers. I'm disappointed that it's just another boring seance act, but I don't want to show it, so I keep my expression stony. And now, it's not just another medium act before you stop blabbering. I've had enough of those batty old women shaking their tambourines and trying to convince everyone that a girl in a white dress is a ghost from the other side is far more spectacular. Though, it does contain the dead as part of it. 
sign of our times I'm afraid everybody's dying and everyone's a part of it it's all black hats and feathers eh I tried to look indifferent but slump on the inside no doubt this woman's act is a seance with a jolly little ditty attached or something I'll be a ghost girl again but with a song this time hardly the fame and fortune I was hoping for if only there was another life eh Nancy even though he isn't even making eye contact I know he wants me to say something by the tone of his voice I think I've done all right Sid and it is kind of true it could have been much worse there are hundreds out there sleeping rough scrabbling down the mines in the hopeless dark Sid treats me better than that I should think myself lucky with me as a father he twinkles he can look almost kind when he wants to with you as a father I'm so glad we have such, such strong feelings for each other I'd hate to think you might ever say anything about me behind my back he picks up a portrait from his desk of course I wouldn't Sid This is a likeness of my dear departed mother. He turns the portrait so I can see a stern looking woman in a dark high collared gown. I had to put her in the asylum for making up tales about me. Terrible shame to put such a smear on my fine character. Don't you agree? I nod. The workhouse is bad enough. Women burning themselves on irons and steam, forced to work long hours for very little pay, and all of them dropping with hunger and illness. I can't imagine how bad the asylum must be. Or rather, I can imagine it, but I don't want to. I don't like it when people let me down. For a moment he looks as if he might weep. I swear I catch a glimpse of genuine sadness in his expression, as if he really had loved her and put her there against his will. Unspeakable things happen at the madhouse. I'd simply hate to have to put anyone else there. Even an idiot would get this threat. The magician's assistant, I forget her name, arrives this afternoon, and Violet Knight arrives tomorrow, so be ready to get to work. It's quite the coup to get Miss Knight but then, I am at the top of the tree. He grins, dismissing me. I use every ounce of energy to push myself up to a standing position. I got off fairly lightly, I suppose. There's a streak of blood down the wall from where Sid held me against it, and I can feel the gunky warmth of more blood congealing on my neck. I pick up my hat and put it on at a jaunty angle in defiance. Do I have enough saved? To hire a detective yet, Sid. He lets the question hang between us for a moment. And then a moment more. Not yet. But I'll make some inquiries. You would think my heart would soar at this. But he's been feeding me the same line for as long as I can recall. I need to push him and ask him to put me in charge of my own money, but I just can't find the courage. 
And the loyal part of me doesn't want to upset him by making him think I don't trust him. You can go now. He waves me away. I hate him sometimes. Actually, on second thoughts, you can clean that up first. There's a good girl. He points to the ink and the blood, checks his reflection in the glass and then leaves the office humming. I wait until I'm certain he's gone, then give him the finger. Or at least, I half give him it, before wondering if he can still see me somehow. He has that effect on everyone. It was a bad night, and now it's going to be a bad day. No sleep, fresh blood trickling down the nape of my neck, cleaning up my blood from the wall, and Sid's spatters of ink from everywhere else. Threatened with the asylum, giving up my bed to some random woman, cast in what sounds like a seance act again. From now on, I'm calling Sid pernicious Sid.